Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. We started um, going to, we started listening to um, Larry Randolph and Bob Jones and um, Paul Kane, and these were all like the four, the grandfathers of the movement. They were fathers at the time. And uh, we started learning that, you know, prophecy is something that you can actually, like the prophecy had to be, the gift had to be imparted, but that you could actually learn the skill of prophecy. Like yeah. you could actually have classes and Larry Randolph taught us how to move in prophecy, how to build partnerships with the Holy Spirit. And, and so we started doing that and uh, I started gathering a group of prophetic people in our little church. Uh, by now, our church was two or 300. And I would meet with them, usually about uh, 40 of them. And we meet every Friday night uh, at uh, around 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock. And we didn't really know what we were doing. We got Larry Randall's book, User-Friendly Prophecy. We read it chapter by chapter. We, everybody got the same book. We read it. We practiced on one another. And till we got pretty good, till we started having some really accurate prophecies over, the, you know, we put one person in the middle, prophecy over them, ask them for feedback. And, and, um, and then after, after about six or eight months, we're like, we need some more victims. So we were trying to get somebody else to come and let us, and we couldn't get anybody. Nobody wanted to like sit in the, the hot, we call it the hot seat. No one wants to sit in the hot seat. It took us a little while to get some poor soul to agree to come and like let us practice on them. And we just like blew their life up. Like the team just like, it was amazing. And then after about two more weeks of a couple more victims in there getting messed up, pretty soon we had lines of people. Like we couldn't, we had to like, we had to have appointments. There were so many people. And, uh, and then we started getting a reputation for it. And then people would come from outside. And it, like, we weren't, we weren't trying to do any of that. They would just go, go home and, hey, can you prophesy over my grandfather? Can you? And, and pretty soon we were doing it on Sunday morning up front. And that just kind of became part of our tradition, if you will, part of our Holy Spirit tradition. Well, that was awesome. And then um, my wife bought this book called Hippo in the Garden. Has anyone ever heard of the book Hippo in the Garden? Um, by James Ryle. It's now obviously a very, very old book, but at the time it was a brand new book. And the Hippo in the Garden was about dreams, dreams and visions. And so um, I, I started reading this book, Hippo in the Garden. I, I honestly, I, I, don't, I probably had dreams before that, but I don't remember them. It, like I would be one of those guys that once in a while I'd have a dream. But so I'm reading this book and you know how, how inspiring something can be. Yeah. I'm reading this book and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And I, by the time I got done with the, with the book, took me a week or so to read it. I was so like, Lord, could you speak to me like this? Wow. And James made some, uh, taught us some stuff I'll share with you. It's just really simple stuff. At the time, it seemed profound to me. But he said, God will speak to you in the way that you value. And he said, if you value the word of the Lord, if you value dreams, God will speak to you in dreams. And so he encouraged us in the book. 
he talked about how he set a journal by his bed. This is before the days of recorders and all the kind of stuff we have now. He said he'd set a journal by his bed, and then when he'd have a dream, he'd wake up and he'd write down everything he can remember. And I'm sure Ben's going to do a much better job on this. This is not my expertise area, but... He would write down everything he could remember about the dream from how he felt about it to the colors, the numbers, everything in it. And he would just, he would just put it in the journal and then go back to sleep. And then the next days or weeks, he would pray over, those, uh, over that journal, over that, over that dream. And he began, Holy Spirit, what does this mean? And, yeah. and over a period of time, and it, was, it's a re- it was a really beautiful book talking about his journey and how he learned the hieroglyphics of dreams. Yeah. Like that, that they, there actually was a pattern to them and, and that the Lord showed him, that taught him the actual language of hieroglyphics, the actual language of dreams. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, but it's, when I finished that book, I prayed over myself and I honestly didn't know anyone. I didn't know James uh, Ryle who wrote the book. I didn't know anyone who had ever had like consistent, I'd always heard of people having dreams. I don't mean that. But I didn't know anyone who was being guided by dreams. And James' life was completely guided by dreams. So I prayed that after I finished the book, I prayed that the Lord would give me dreams. And I put a journal by my bed, just as, as James had instructed. And I just, and James said, before you go to sleep, just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me tonight in dreams. And, and he said, ask for dreams. So, so I'm like, all right, that's cool. So I did that, super simple. Put the journal by my bed. And I very first night, I had a vivid dream, a vivid dream. And it was one of those kindergarten kind of dreams where you couldn't get it wrong. Yeah, and it was, a, it was about a man coming to visit me, that he'd be in a plaid shirt and a fishing hat. In fact, I even used this example all the time, forgetting that this was the first dream I had. And he was, is, you know, at the time we had an auto parts store and he walked in my auto parts store and in the dream, I prayed for him for a certain ailment. I actually don't remember what the ailment was. And, uh, and the dream was really vivid. So I got up and I wrote it down and I was trying to figure out like, is this hieroglyphic dream? Yeah. Or is this an actual, like, was the fishing hat? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was, because James talked about different kinds of dreams. Like these could be a symbolic, like that could be a symbolic dream and, what did a plaid shirt mean and a fishing hat? Or like, was this a literal yeah. dream? Well, thankfully, that guy came into my store the next day. Oh, and plaid shirt, fishing hat, you know, and whatever, I think it might have been a bad back or something. Mm-hmm. Whatever it was, he complained about it. I'm like, oh my God, this is the guy. Like, I had a dream about you last night, you know? And I was so flabbergasted, it actually worked so quickly. By the way, it never has since, but it worked so quickly. <laughs> It actually worked like that for like a year. Like I know I was in kindergarten. I couldn't hardly get it wrong, you know? And so uh, I was just so excited about it. Started, I I would dream and it would happen like within a a reasonable amount of time, a day or sometimes a week or two, you know, always within time I would remember. And um, and so I, I prayed for that guy and I was yeah, I don't even know if it was good for him, but it was so good for me. Like, wow, this is amazing. It was probably way more for me than it was for him. Yeah. And I was learning, right? And so I remember I had this group that I was meeting with every Friday night. Uh, and so I, I brought the book to the, to the team. Now there were like 35 to 40 of them. And I, and I had highlighted the books and I just, I just kind of took each chapter and I 
didn't read the whole chapter to him, but I just read the, the highlights of the chapter and told him what was happening to me. And, and pretty soon we started a dream team. Uh, it was the same team, but we just started doing dreams. And so every week we would do prophecy like normal, but then we would say, hey, does anyone have a dream? And, and then a, a really cool thing happened. This wasn't right away, by the way. I don't think I've ever told Ben about this part, but uh, somebody would have a dream, but because we were uh, like collectively together as a team, yeah. there would be like different pieces of the dream. Wow. Like someone would have part of a dream and then, uh, no, they would have a dream. And then this person would have a dream too that would fit. And wow. pretty soon we were like, we, it was like more like a writing a chapter than a, than a, than a paragraph. Yeah. And it was really cool. And it was, went on for months. And then something happened. Somebody brought a dream interpretation book to the team, to the, to the class. You know, class was more like a gathering. And it was like, it was, I, I don't remember which book it is. There's lots of them, but it was something like how symbols and, you know, something like you know, keys to unlocking your dreams or something like that. And it was, every chapter was a different symbol and what it meant. So they bring this. And, and so we started, we got a whiteboard and we wrote down, you know, bear means, <laughs> black means this, white means this, you know. And so we would get, we would have a dream. Then we'd take our symbol book because every chapter was just like one page. Uh, and it was like, this symbol means this, this symbol means that. And a crazy thing happened. I, I have shared this with you many times. Like, like from then on, none of the interpretations worked. For months, nothing worked. It was so weird. We went from a pretty high accuracy, things happening you know, we would get the interpretation and it would mean this and this. And then, and then we would be, oh man, that's exactly right. And yeah. hey, my uncle came and he had that exact experience we had. Remember we had that dream about him and yeah. da, 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 to nothing. Yeah. Nothing worked for months. And I was like, Lord, what is going on? And, it, and the Lord directed me to Daniel, to the book of Daniel, just in a, like I just woke up in the middle of the night with this verse in my mind, didn't know what it was, went to Daniel and Daniel said to the king, the interpretation of, the, of dreams belongs to the Lord. And I felt like the Lord said to me, the Lord said to me, I, I give you dreams, visions, prophecies, and the ultimate goal is to bring you in relationship. And you got enamored by the gift and lost touch with the giver. And therefore I confused the dreams so that you would need me again to interpret them. And he told me, and listen, I'm not against those books anymore, but he said, just throw away the book. Throw away the book and, and come to me and I will tell you what I said. I will interpret my own hieroglyphics. I will tell you what I said. And we, we scrapped that book. And, I, and this is what I think, this is, what I, this is how I would view those now. I think the sim, symbol books and all that I think they're great to give you an idea how dreams work. So, you, you know, you get the idea. Like, it's what the team's teaching now. It's like, they're not, like, black is, is about darkness unless it's not. Yeah. <laughs> right? Are you with me? I, I, I mean, you know, like, yeah. like, because Isaiah said, God hides in darkness. Yeah. So black is bad in a dream unless God's hiding in it. Then it's good, right? Snake, bad, unless Moses puts it on a stick and it represents Christ becoming sin for us. And it's good, right? 
Do you see where I'm going? And so God can flip the symbols. So if you're like, well, snake bad, you know, bear good. And God's like, oh no, okay, let's switch around. Bad bear, good snake. You know, white's good unless it's leprosy. You know, it just goes on and on. (laughs) I learn, we learn together that whenever we do anything, well, in any ministry, but right now we're talking about prophetic ministry. Whenever we do anything that takes us out of the need for God, we're in a perversion, the wrong version. And you'll find that whenever you go after the gift instead of the giver, uh, you will start missing it, whether it's prophecy, visions, dreams, you know, uh, discernment. It will get perverted when God's not involved. A great example of this is uh, the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, um, Solomon wrote both of those. Interesting, Solomon wrote Proverbs when he had a great relationship with God. He wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life when he had lost relationship with God. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, right? You never lose them. So look at Solomon's wisdom gift in Proverbs and look at Solomon's wisdom gift in Ecclesiastes. See, Ecclesiastes was never written to be true. It's written to show you what happens when the wisest man in the world loses touch with his creator because he ends every thought with, it's all vanity, it's all for nothing. And he makes statements like, money is the answer to all things in Ecclesiastes. But in Proverbs, he said, if you chase wealth, you'll end up, it'll flee from you. In, in, Pro, in, Ecclesia, in Proverbs, he says, a wise man, a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But in Ecclesiastes, he said, why should I leave an inheritance? My son, will, if maybe my son's a fool. <laughs> in Proverbs, he says, Get wisdom, no matter what it costs. In Ecclesiastes, he says, why should you be so wise? He said, I don't want to be too wise, and I don't want to be too, too, I don't want to be a fool, because the end of both of them, the end of both of them is vanity. It doesn't matter to be wise, and it doesn't matter if you're a fool, because the way of the horse and the way of, of, of the human is the same. Wow. Not true. Yeah. None of it's true, but you'll find really amazing stuff, Ecclesiastes, because he still has the gift of wisdom, Mm -hmm. but it's not attached to relationship. So Ecclesiastes is the strangest book because if you read it like you read Proverbs, it will take you the wrong direction. If you read it like you're looking for the gift that was on the man and you spit out the bones of his depression, are you with me? And what I'm getting at is I'm saying it's same warning to us. Like, yeah, you, if God yeah. gives you a gift. He gives you dreams and visions. He gives you the gift of prophecy, the word of knowledge, the gift of discernment. It's on you for the rest of your life. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. You can take the gift and you can leave relationship with God and become a cultist. That gift will still work in your life. But guess who's anointing it? You know, two kinds of false prophets, right? We're not talking about false prophets tonight. But, you know, the first one is like Acts 16, the girl that has the spirit of divination is following Paul and Silas and saying, these are great men of God. How many know she said the right thing? She had the right word, but it was the wrong spirit directing it. How many know just because you're a false prophet doesn't mean you don't have good words. It just means that you have a wrong heart. (laughs) So one kind of false prophet is it's it's a gift from hell, right? But the other kind of false prophet is when God gives you a gift, 
and then you take the gift and you change sides. You still have the gift. You know, it takes a calling, a gifting, and an anointing to have a ministry, right? Your calling gives your identity, your gift gives your ability, and your anointing gives your purpose. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. So the gift stays with you, but guess who's anointing you? So it's so important that no matter what we do, we stay, like, like I love what Leslie Crandall, she's one of our amazing leaders here. Yeah. And she, she's just been, has this phrase that she's been saying to us for yeah. a year, right? Jesus needs to be at the center. Yeah. Right. It's almost offensive to me. I'm like, is Jesus not in the center? I'm like, gosh, you know, I got him tattooed on my belly button right here, you know? <laughs> but she'll say it all the time, right, Ben? We'll be in the middle of SLT and she'll be like, is Jesus in the center? Yeah. Did he get off the center? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's kind, of, it's kind of a joke now. It's become an adage and we tease her with it. And she teases us with it. Yeah. But the point is really taken. You know, she's, she's saying to us as a senior leadership team, guys, we're doing good stuff, but is Jesus at the center? Yeah. Not on the outside or not part. Is he at the center yeah. of what we're doing? And I, I just want to say that you're going to learn stuff in the next few days Yep. That's going to dramatically accelerate your ministry. But I want to ask you to ask yourself this every day. Is Jesus at the center? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Because anything besides center is perversion. Yeah. Yes, anything we do that puts me at the center, and I'm not saying you should be the superior, there shouldn't be anything about you. I'm just saying when it becomes I'm the hero, yeah. I'm at the center, I'm like, I need to be there because I'm a co-heir. I'm a son of God. But he needs to be at the center. Yeah, I need right. to be next to him. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah, that's a good And when I'm starting, when it's, when it's all about me and I'm at the center, I'm already starting Ecclesiastes. Mm. I'm starting to write Ecclesiastes of my life. I'm starting to, I got a great gift. But pretty soon it's vanity. It has no meaning. Yeah, it's got perversion good. in it. It's got other, it's got philosophies that, of, you know, in, in his case of women he married and mm-hmm. kings, other kings he was trying to stay related to. He, his, his theology became this massive ball of ick. Yeah. It made no sense. If you go from chapter one to the end of Ecclesiastes, it doesn't even string together. There's it's all confused and mixed up like a, a depressed, broken man who needs, you know, some medication <laughs> or, or Jesus at the center. <laughs> Jesus at the center is what I should have said. Yes, Jesus at the center. Hmm. I want to tell you about this thing that happened. So when, when Weaverville, um, began, the Lord began to really guide me by dreams. And I, was, I, I started to get really confident that he would. And, and you know, confidence, uh, it, it can be, you know, when you have confidence in God, it's really rooted in faith, right? And I started to have faith that God was going to, and then, you know, when I wouldn't have a, the night dream, I would be like, oh, gosh, something's wrong, you know? And I, I just, that's how sensitive I was for the first couple of years about I was having these dreams and the Lord would guide me every day and I'd write them down. And sometimes I wouldn't know what they mean for a month. And sometimes I'd have two or three more dreams that would tell me what the dream a month ago meant and, it was like the Lord was stringing them together. I was learning. I was growing. I was like a kindergartner. And God was showing me very simply how to walk in this life. And, and so, um, I, I, uh, so we, we, we opened an auto parts store. 
And uh, we didn't have hardly any money. We, we were bootstrapped everything we did in those days. And, you know, the bank wants to loan you money when you don't need it. But when you need money, they don't want to loan you money, you know. And so we, uh, we, we opened the auto parts store. And we didn't have money for a, um, a uh, computer. The, a, a POS is a point-of-sale system. We didn't have the money for a, a point-of-sale system that was specific to, to, to um, auto parts. So we bought a generic POS system. And uh, it, was, it was great. This is the er- very early days of computers. This is a DOS system. You guys remember that? Like you turn the computer on and you have to actually type in all the stuff to get it to come up. I couldn't even turn the computer on. So I'd always have to wait for my manager at Kathy turn the computer on. <laughs> and anyway, so I have to give you this little boring part or the story won't make sense. So auto parts, it, most everything you buy has three price levels. It has wholesale, it has jobber, what's called jobber, and it has retail. So you know, like clothing has three price levels. Most everything has three price levels. But auto parts have five price levels. And the reason they do is because of the different kinds of customers you sell to. Like you sell, the, you sell to the walk-in customer who's fixing his own car, but you also sell to the shop who has to get a discount because that's how they make their living. And then you sell to shops that actually stock your parts. And you want them to stock your parts because you don't have to make as many parts runs, so... They usually get an extra seven to ten percent when they stock your parts. So, so if they if they if they're a dealer, if they're a shop, they get a, a, a better discount than the walk-in guy. If they stock your parts, they even get a better discount. And then you have the other three discounts. So you have five five price levels. Well, the POS system we had was a generic system. It only had three price levels. And uh, right away we started getting busy with shops, and we had to override the price. Well, if, for example, if you are doing a brake job and I'm sending you parts for a brake job, that might be 40 parts, all the little parts, the brake pads and all that. And I have to remember every single line to override the price. And then, yeah, then if, the, if the, let's say you stock our brake shoes, then I have to remember not just to override the price and give you like, say, 15%, but now you get another seven. I have to add that up and you get the idea. Well, 75% of our business within the first year was shops. So we were constantly overriding the price, trying to figure it out. And then, the, you know, somebody, the shop would bring the, the receipt back and go, you, you guys are ripping me off, you promised me one price, and yes, you know, just like that, right? So um, anyway, it was going on and on, and it really got, and so Kathy would come in at night, and she'd go over every single receipt. We're talking about, like, probably 2,000 individual lines, and she would go in, double-check the price, make sure they got the discount, and you can imagine, this is like crazy, right? Yeah. And still, she'd still miss stuff because you just do, you know. Oh, I didn't know you stocked the, that part, you know. So it was like that. So anyway, so we we're going on and on, and and the shops, and we we're in a little 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 town with twenty five shops, so they all talk. And there's you know three other parts stores in town. So one day, so the shops start complaining. Hey, I didn't get my price. Hey, hey, the guy forgot to override price. Da da da. It's just all day long. And then our very largest customer, which did thousands with us every month, he comes in one day with a stack of invoices, six inches thick, slaps them down on the, on the counter and says a few Egyptian words related to the letter F and says, you are bait and switching me. And he, he has a stack that thick of receipts that he spent the night going through that were all priced wrong. And he says, you guys are ripping us off. I'm going to tell the shops in town, da-da-da. 
And you know, and and we we were, you know, we put out a letter saying, "Hey, double check your receipts before this." Like da da da, this is the problem we're having. Trying to let people know that, hey, double check us, you know. Anyway, anyway, he's like, "I'm never shopping there," and it was really, really traumatic. So, I'm like, "Oh gosh!" Now it just went from urgent to like, it has to happen. We have to do something. We couldn't. It was thirty-five thousand dollars for a system. We had no money. It was winter time, so I call the software company who actually uh, who we bought the software from, and they and I told them the problem, and he, and they actually let me talk to the actually guy who wrote the program, a very nice guy, and he said, "Well, Mr. Valentin, I don't know if I can I don't know if I can get more price levels. I, I I don't think so, but let me try." So a week later, he calls, very nice. He said, "Hey, I spent all week on this." And I actually wrote the program for three price levels, and there's, that's that's it. You actually need, you know, a POS system for. I'm like, I know what I need. I just don't have any money. Yeah. So you know, my friend Kurt walked in that day, and he's a real brainiac. And I said, I told him a problem, and he's like, Oh, I have a friend. He can fix anything, and he'll do it for me for free. He owes me a favor. So okay, so he comes in at night for three nights after we close. And he tries to rewrite the program. After the third night, he said, "Hey, Chris, this program was written. Da da. Same thing. The 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 architect wrote. The guy who actually wrote the the code. Oh man, I was you know you can imagine. I'm like I am in a ridiculously I I I I don't know what to do. I'm in an impossible situation. I go to bed that night completely stressed. The the last guy has just told me he can't fix it. And I I pray and I say, Lord. I don't know what the solution is, but I need a solution. Like this is serious. I'm losing my business over this. Yeah. I go to sleep that night and I have a dream. Wow. And in the dream, I see three lines of what I four lines of what I now know to be code. Like I didn't even know what the word code meant, and I had never seen code. So I'm, I'm telling you that before God, I had never seen code. Yeah. This is very early days, and so I wake up. I have my journal. And I can still see it burned in my mind. I don't see it with my eyes, yeah. but it is so clear in my mind. It's it's lit. You understand? Yeah. It's lines long. Yeah. I don't even know if you get a backslash wrong. It's not going to work, right? I I have no idea how this works. So I write down all four lines, just specifically. I can still see them in my mind. Not now, but I mean then. Yeah. Still see them in my mind. Every single letter, every single character. I write all four lines down. And it's three thirty in the morning. It's snow on the ground. It's winter time. Wow. I wake up my wife because I don't know how to turn a computer on. <laughs> Absolute true story. I wake her up. I say, "Hey, baby." She's like, "What's going on?" You know, Kathy's a deep sleeper. What's going on? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I'm like, "No, no. I think I have the answer to the computer." She's like, "What?" <laughs> and so I try through her grogginess to explain to her I had the stream and I wrote this down on the paper, yeah. and she's like, "You know, she's not a believer." So, well, it means she believed in Jesus, but not me. <laughs> so I finally, I finally get her all the way awake. I get her out of bed. You know, she's she's not in a good mood. And we get to the parts store at four thirty in the morning. And she's like, she's like, now she really did not want to come. And and you know, she's the only one who knows how to type, and she's the only one who knows how to turn a computer on. In our house, so he gets the computer on, and she's like really grumpy, and she's like, "Okay, give me the first line." So I try to read the line off, but I don't know like the lines like this one's like this. Yeah. And then finally, she's like, "Give me the journal." So, 
get the journal, and she writes in the first line. She puts the line in, and the computer shuts off and boots back up. And she goes, I think we're in the back of the program. I didn't you know what that meant, back of the program. Was that good? She goes, give me the rest of it. So she puts it all in, and, and, she, and then we set up a dummy computer, I mean a dummy customer, you know, like a fake customer. And it, when we set up the new customer, it has five press syllables. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what you're doing here. You're in the presence of a genius. I mean, to this day, I mean, to, I mean, I never could turn that computer on after that. Because that information wasn't resident in me. It was resident in the Holy Spirit. So that opened the door to a whole lot. First of all, it fixed my problem. And, uh, and we used that computer for, we, got, we, we ended up buying two more of them and stringing them together with a network. And I, we reprogrammed them ourselves and used those for another four or five years. And, uh, but it opened the door for a whole another level relationship for me. And I began to have a really high value for dreams. Yeah realizing that the Lord is engineer of engineers. He's coder of coders. Yeah. He's scientist of scientists. Like he's the brilliant of brilliance. Yeah. And he has answers for things that even this guy who wrote the software. In fact, I called the guy, sent him the code and said, you can get five price levels if you do this. Yeah. He's like, how'd you do that? You would never believe me. Just <laughs> write, write it down. I opened a door to another level of intelligence. Yeah. And I, I have about 18 minutes left. I want to I tell you about um, a little bit about connecting dreams to what I call SQ, spiritual intelligence. Because um, you know what IQ is, I'm sure. And now you know, do you, are you familiar with EQ? It's emotional quotient, emotional intelligence. Yeah. And by the way, if you haven't read a book on, on EQ, I would really... Just go on Amazon and look at the highest rated book on EQ. I read two or three of them. They're very excellent. And they, they, they're, even if it's a secular author, like there's so much science right now behind emotional intelligence. And they're finding that the greatest leaders in business and, and government are actually not the people that have the highest IQ, but the people who have the highest EQ. And so, um, and there's a lot to say about that. And I, someday I might do a class on EQ just from what a little bit I learned. I'm definitely no expert. But, but basically, IQ, if I could put it like this, IQ is related to your neurology, right? It's like, for instance, you think from your biological brain. For example, if you take LSD, it, you're just taking a chemical, but it changes the way you think. I'm just pointing out that you're thinking that everyone before you're born again, you think dual dimensionally. You think from the biological part of your brain, the chem- chemistry of it, and then you think also from what we often call the heart, right? Because, for instance, you go to battle or something, you can come home with PTSD. That's not biological. There's no test you can take. It goes, oh, yes, we have PTSD. You came back with the blood test. It, it's, actually, it's actually rooted in the heart, right? So, you, so I'm pointing out that you think from the heart, so to speak, and I call that emotional EQ, and then you also think IQ. And you can measure these things, right? You have tests where you can measure IQ. 
against, against what would be standard and normal. And there's, there's several different kinds of tests to measure EQ. I, am I an emotionally intelligent person and can I grow my EQ? But here's something that I've never heard anybody teach on it. I didn't know about it until I prophesied over Heidi Baker. About 13, 14 years ago, I, I was on Heidi Baker's board uh, for eight, eight years and we were doing this thing and I, I, I had an opportunity to minister to her. And by the way, I love Heidi. She's one of the best leaders I've ever met in my life. And uh, we have a great, great friend. It's almost like a covenant relationship with Bethel and her, her team. But I was prophesying over her and I said to her, and this, I never, pro- I didn't think, I didn't think, I never had this word before. I wasn't, um, I wasn't, I didn't think about it beforehand. Um, but as I ministered to her, I said, I see you, I see SQ. I, 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 it's, like, it's like spiritual intelligence. And I see you writing a book on spiritual intelligence. And I'd never heard the phrase spiritual intelligence before I gave her a prophecy and it wasn't premeditated. I'd I'd never had that phrase come out of my mouth before. And after I left her, um, her, the the, the session we were doing with her, I went home and I'm like, wow, SQ, spiritual intelligence. That's amazing. Anyway, she never did write a book about it, but I did. (laughs) I believe she will sometime, but... But, um, but I started to think about spiritual intelligence. And I want to kind of give you, the, I'm going to give you what I usually do in two and a half hours. I'm going to give you in 15 minutes, just so you have a taste of it, overview. In Romans 12, 2, you, you will know these verses. Uh, in Romans 12, 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, so the word transform, I'm sure you know this, but the word transform there is the word metamorphosis. And it's the identical Greek word when Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration. The word transfiguration and the word transform in the Greek are the identical word. So you get the idea. It's like, it's more than like, change your mind. It's actually, it's actually about transfiguring your brain. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's it, and I, I, I like to say it this way. You can't change your life, but if you change your mind, he'll change your life. And so when you're transformed, when you transform your mind, and I'm just going to give you the outcomes of it, when you transform your mind, the goal is that you think like God. Yes. Would you say this with me? I think, I think. Like, God. like God. So for example, if Herbie is my neighbor and Herbie hates me, and he throws his crap over, his, over my fence all day long, and he, you know, he, he, he gives me the bird when he takes off during the day, and he cusses me out, and he just, he's just nasty. He doesn't like me. When, when I have my mind transformed, I think like Jesus, right? Yeah. So I think, okay, Jesus said, love people who hate you. Okay, so Herbie hates me, I love him. Bless those who persecute you. He persecutes me, I bless him. You know, pray for those who despitefully, despitefully use you. Okay, so he despitefully used me, so I, I pray for him. And I say, okay, you know, it's, it's WWJD. What would Jesus do? Yeah. And I'm thinking about her, every time I see Herbie, I'm thinking about, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do, right? But, okay, so that's, my, that's don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Okay, now, if you have a Bible, I want you to actually physically look at your Bible because I want it, to, for some of you, you're going to learn something about actually reading your Bible that you may not know. Come on. Okay, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. And even if you have a Bible program in your phone, this same thing that I'm about to teach you should, uh, should, should be true in that, in that program too. So look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Did you get it? 
Okay, we do speak wisdom. We're kind of jumping in the middle here for the sake of time. We do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Can everybody say a mystery? mystery. The hidden wisdom, the hidden wisdom, everybody say hidden wisdom, which God predestined predestined before the ages to our glory. Everybody say our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if you understood it, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Just as it is written. Now, here's where I want you to look down. Look down at your Bible, and you see verse 9. Okay, do you notice that the typing is different? It should be, it should be capitalized or italicized. Okay, if you don't know this, the reason why it's the, the typing, the typeset is different, is because the translator is telling you that this is a quote from the Old Testament. Are you with me? So whenever you see that kind of writing, in my Bible, it's all caps. He's telling you the old, that this author, in this case, Paul, is quoting the Old Testament. Yeah. And in this case, he's quoting Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Are you with me? Yes. Well, if you don't know that, you completely misunderstand this verse, which I hear for 20 years taught wrong. Yeah. So Isaiah said, Isaiah said, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So I hear people teach all the time, really great preachers. Listen, things God, God says, things that eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard, hasn't in her heart. These things God wants to give us. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that's not true. That's what Isaiah said. Mm-hmm. But look at the next verse. For to us, God has revealed them. Yes. <laughs> to us, God has revealed them through his spirit. Notice that it's capital S spirit. Yes. Speaking of holy, Now, you're going to see that your spirit and his spirit and God's spirit are both mentioned here. Capital S, spirit. They're revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Okay, we're talking about Holy Spirit, right? For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except for the spirit of the man which is in him? Short, small s, right? Okay, point is, people ask all the time, does the devil know my thoughts? This verse says he doesn't unless he gave them to you. Okay, so if you open your mouth, then the devil knows your thoughts. So sometimes you should shut up. Because he doesn't know what you're thinking unless you tell him. If, you, if you're walking around telling him, man, I'm afraid of the devil. I'm afraid I'm going to die. I'm afraid. The devil goes, oh, that's what he's thinking. And it helps him develop a strategy against you. That's why the children of Israel, when they went going around Jericho, the command was, don't freaking talk. I don't think freaking was in there, but <laughs> some way Joshua said something. Okay, look at the next verse. For who among us, uh, who, uh, sorry, verse 11, for who among men knows the thoughts of man except for the spirit of man is in him? Next part of the verse. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except for the spirit of God. Okay, no one knows the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. Wait, 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 wait. Don't stop reading. Mm-hmm. Next verse says, now we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Remember Isaiah said, who knows what God, God's given us stuff, but we don't know what it is. And Paul says, but we do. (laughs) Are you with me? We know, we've been, okay, things which we also speak, not in words taught with human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Look at verse 14. 
And, but the natural man, the biological, the IQ man, not the evil man, the IQ man, the IQ man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they're foolishness to him, listen to this, because he can't understand them. Remember, God speaks to us, but in mysteries. And so, in other words, the, the language is a mystery, and you have to know the secret of the mysteries to unlock it. Because it's the glory of God to hide a matter, and the glory of kings to search it out. Why doesn't God just speak plainly? Because how many you know that... <laughs> How many know that the value you place on the word determines the power you receive from the word? Yeah. How many know that, that knowledge is power? And God doesn't want the prideful to be the powerful. Therefore, he hides this word so that only the hungry and the humble can find it. Wow. Can I say this? God hides his word in plain sight. Yes. Wow. Look at the rest of this. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him because he cannot understand them. They're like in code. They're like written in a code he, can't, he doesn't get. It looks like gibberish to him. Because they are spiritually appraised. You, you have to actually understand the code. It's a spiritual code. He sees hieroglyphics and he goes, oh, it's a picture, it doesn't make sense to me. Because he doesn't know the code. Because it was written by the Spirit, it can only be appraised by the Spirit. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Yet no one, himself, no one appraises him himself. Look at the next verse. Do you notice that it's all capitalized again? For who has the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? No, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? It's in capitals. You know why? It's the rest of the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah said, who knows what God's thinking? And Paul finishes, we have the mind of Christ. Isaiah, who was not born again. How many know the Spirit was on Isaiah, but not in him? Isaiah was still a sinner. How many know when you received Jesus Christ, you became a new creation, and you became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? You're no longer a sinner, but a saint. You are not prone to sin. You have a new heart. And get this, a new mind. We have a new heart and a new mind. And what, what kind of mind do you have? You have the mind of Christ. Are you with me? Paul, I'm sorry, Isaiah did not have the mind of Christ. Isaiah did not have the spirit within him. Isaiah was still inherently, inherently a sinner. Isaiah is the one who cried out, there's none righteous, not even one. But when you got born again, you were born of the Spirit, you were actually a new creation. The word new, Isaiah, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, any man being Christ, he's a new creation. The word new means, is the word prototype. Did you know that? It's the word prototype. It means never before created. When you receive Jesus Christ, when I received Jesus Christ, I became a prototype, meaning a creature that never before graced the planet. I actually live in heaven and on earth simultaneously. Angels either live in heaven or on earth. You're the first creature that we know of, at least, that lives simultaneously, dual dimensionally. Like you actually currently live in heaven and you currently live on earth. The question is, do you live from heaven towards earth or do you live from heaven, or I'm sorry, do you live from earth towards heaven or do you live from heaven towards earth? Are you with me? Okay, but follow me. Let's, uh, my cell phone. This cell phone right here, it's a pretty good phone, it's an iPhone. It's the only real phone there is. 
Everything else is false prophets and <laughs> false teachers. It's an apple. Think Eden, garden, apple, Eden. Tree of, yeah, knowledge. <laughs> Gosh, you had to mess up my illustration. You messed it up. Yeah, I did, right from the beginning. I didn't think all the way, that was the Ecclesiastes right there. So trying, Ecclesiastes, you see how it was all vanity. On this phone, I have memory. I have memory on this phone. I have, I have, I have songs in here. I have, I, have, I have movies on here. And, and I can you know, download some more. And have you ever uh, something on your, downloaded something on your iPad, a movie, or on your iPhone, and then you get on the plane, and you're going to watch it, and you realize, like, oh, you watched half the movie, you get on the plane, and it's, no more, it's not there. Because it's not on your phone. It's in the cloud somewhere, right? I don't even know what that means, but... I'm like, it's not here or that. They're on, it's in the cloud. I'm like, and I didn't even see one. Oh, yeah, okay. And I can put a lot of stuff on here. And it's resonant on, you know, it's not the hard drive, right? It's in the memory now. It's in the memory. And this is like IQ and EQ. It's resonant in me. Like you're learning right now, right? It's resonant in you. You go to university, you get a degree. Hopefully that's the stuff you learned is it's in you. It's it, it's, in, it's, it's resonant in you, in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body, tridimensionally. It's in you. Are you with me? Okay, when I push this little button here, it says Safari. It takes me to something called the internet. Now, I can put in the word leadership in here, for example, and I can search probably, probably for my whole lifetime, and I can read a different article, a different book, a different quote, probably for the next 100 years, from probably around two to four billion people on what they think about leadership. Yeah. It's not resident in the phone. Right. It's in the internet. The phone now has become, all it's become is a vehicle to tap into the internet yeah. when I push this little button. Yes. Nothing that's on this little button is in this phone. Right. It's, it's, it's accessing a much greater, can I say, mind. Yeah. Okay, think about this. IQ and EQ is resonant in you. But SQ is not resonant in you. It's resonant in God. The Holy Spirit, which is one-third of God, I don't know if we want to say it like that, but is God. According to, according to 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, yeah, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we just read, the, 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 the Holy Spirit searches the mind of God. He has, he is, if, if you will, I don't want to, I'm not trying to de demean the Holy Spirit, but for the sake of example, he is the safari of the Godhead. And he lives in me. And his spirit and my spirit, like your, 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 uh, your body is the house of two spirits, hopefully only two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah. There's your spirit and the Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit has full access to God, the mind of God. What God's thinking. Not how God thinks, what God's thinking. And you have access to the Holy Spirit who has full access to God's thoughts. Are you with me? Okay, so let's contrast uh, Romans 12 2. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. I'm learning how God thinks. With 1 Corinthians 2. 
what, now, how God thinks, what God's thinking. Let's go back to Herbie. Herbie's throwing crap over my fence. He hates me. Gives me the finger, doesn't like me, curses me all the time. And I already told you, when I say, well, what would Jesus do? I'm thinking like God. But that's not what 1 Corinthians 2 is about. 1 Corinthians 2 isn't thinking like God. 1 Corinthians 2 is safari. I tap in to the Holy Spirit and I say, Holy Spirit, what is God thinking about Herbie? And suddenly I get this. Herbie's father was a pastor. He abused him. He, he sexualized him. He, he tor tortured and tormented the family. And then he would stand on the podium on Sunday and act like an angel. And Herbie hates the hypocrisy of the church. He hates his father for the abuse. And when he sees you, he sees his father. He doesn't hate you. He hates what you represent. How many know, I'm not thinking like Jesus. I'm thinking Jesus' thoughts. Now I can have what I call strategy, a spirit-led strategy. Right? I can have a spirit-led strategy because I just had a spirit-led solution. And I'll say, Holy Spirit, what's the solution? And maybe I hear, I want you to go apologize for how his father treated him. I want you to repent on behalf of his father. Wow. You know, I don't know what the answer was, but my point is, is that it's predicated on the fact that I actually know what God's thinking about Herbie. I'm not thinking like God, I'm thinking God thoughts. This is spiritual intelligence. And here's the deal. You have full access to the mind of Christ. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.